Would you, would you pray with me? Father, we, we ask for your help in this time. As God, we, we are seeking to do what is just not within our natural ability. And that, that's a few things here. Lord, it's, we're seeking to understand your word and we need the help of your spirit to do that. We're seeking to be a group of people who's completely united, and there's just so many things within us that naturally push back against that. And Lord, we're seeking to walk by your power for your purposes and for your glory. So Lord, I pray that you would shrink our egos. Would you take the the songs of a word we just sang of I stand in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and cause that just to completely make a shake in awe that we in this room would be in your presence, O Lord. And would you captivate our hearts for you and not as much for ourselves. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, there is a unique level of disappointment and remorse that comes from buying anything with the words as seen on TV stamped on the packaging. Whether it's a sham wow, some sort of kitchen storage system, or an article of clothing that's somehow enhanced by the magic properties of copper, I'm guessing somehow it was not quite as good as the advertisements boasted, that those socks indeed did not massage your feet, increase your circulation, and file your taxes. This product that was touted as perfect has been weighed, measured, and found lacking. And the result has likely left you or any other buyer with a a sort of distrust of otherwise notable infomercials. But wait, there's more. See, I've found a similar, although much deeper and much more tragic form of disappointment and remorse from people who come into church only to find what kind of people go to church. That this is not indeed heaven on earth where we are all fully sanctified. None of us even capable of sin. But indeed we are we are pretty terrible. And the most common iterations of this come with words like, oh, I, 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 they were just gossips. I went to church and it was just a bunch of favoritism and clickiness or, or some sense of betrayal or, or the natural most common one. It's just full of hypocrites. people 
in different ways have been legitimately hurt by those who regularly fall short of the glory of God. Biblically and theologically, of course, this should be no shock to us at all that there would be those within a church who would gossip, who would show favoritism, who would betray trust, or who would be otherwise hypocritical, that those such people would inhabit churches. I heard one pastor say, if only all we had was hypocrites. It's actually much worse than that. And the Bible even tells us it's much worse than that. There's literal wolves in sheep's clothing that inhabit our churches. But it's one thing to talk about this, that of course we're going to encounter sin and we're going to be affected by the sin of one another as none of us are yet fully sanctified, none of us are yet fully perfect, but it is another thing altogether to be on the receiving end of that. And while it can be inspiring and emotional and even exciting to talk about the ways that believers bear up one another's burdens, that we take care of each other in times of trial, in moments of urgent need, and in the midst of maybe the midst of blessing through a growing family. But as we look at this idea of carrying each other's burdens, as the Lord has invited us to cast our own cares on him, we must also look at the difficult times when the burdens are each other. Specifically, our shortcomings in sin. When we let each other down, when we hurt and disappoint one another and transgress against one another. And while it is much easier, much less pleasant to bear with one another as opposed to bearing up for one another, it is altogether necessary that we do so. So this morning we're going to be working through Ephesians 4, dipping into specific verses from time to time. I invite you to turn there as we look at this, that bearing each other's burdens as an extension of God's love, which we have experienced, means bearing with redeemed sinners. That if we are really to bear up one another's burdens, part of that means I'm going to have to bear with people that while redeemed, still have sin in them. And as we start into Ephesians 4, as Paul gives us this instruction and carries it out in a long, more, more long form, He's going to give us the instruction in verse 2 of bearing with one another in love. And what we're going to see first is that bearing with one another is a Holy Spirit-enabled task. Bearing with one another is a Holy Spirit-enabled task. In, In fact, I would say it is a supremely difficult task. Listen to how Paul sets up bearing with one another. Verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have received. Every believer has received this calling to follow Jesus. That is not a simple calling. It's not like a calling to go to Taco Bell. It's much higher 
This calling to follow Jesus. We are not naturally suited for this. Ultimately, as we look ahead to verse 2, where we're going to be called to bear with one another in love, and then given reasons for that and, and methods for doing that, we are being called to do what only God can do. To love and faithfully walk with those who have offended us or someone we care about. This is a God-sized task. It's a call to walk distinctly higher than we naturally are. To walk on earth with each other in a heavenly way. And here's how we know this is a Holy Spirit-enabled task. When we go to verse 2, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. This is fruit of the Spirit kind of work. Did you hear it all in there? That we respond to the Spirit's conviction in our life, one of His primary ministries and helps to us, convicting us of our sin. We respond to that in repentance, and we find humility. Which will, and He continually leads us to truth. And He bears fruit of righteousness and gentleness and love, among other things. But we cannot do this task of bearing with one another in a way worthy of the calling which we have received without the Holy Spirit's involvement in our life. It would be impossible. We might bear with one another the same way someone bears with an injury, miserably and gritting through pain on our own, but we would never bear with one another in patience and gentleness and love without the involvement of the Lord in our lives. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 and 15 encourage us to walk in matters of correction and to do so with patience and not returning wrong for wrong. I find this very similar to Paul's instructions to marriage in, in Ephesians. Where before he, he even gets to the issue of marriage, he talks with our need of being controlled by the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit, we would be so filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit in a, in a way similar to that of a drunkard filled with wine. So that the Spirit would be evident, the Lord would be evident. And that's the way we can really lay ourselves down for each other. It's the only way we can get past our own selfishness. And find the joy that the Lord has available for us. Oh, we need His help. We need the Spirit to bear His fruit and do His work in our lives. So that with all humility and gentleness, with patience, we'd be able to bear with one another in love. And so we need to ask, what are we doing individually, and there's a corporate element to this too, but I want to start with individually. What are we doing to either help us submit to the Spirit or to resist the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? I 
I think the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives becomes evident as we are, are quick to repent. As we have lives that are marked with prayer, as we are correctable in matters and have a teachable heart, a humble disposition, that we would fight especially hard against our own pride and arrogance. That we would be quick to acknowledge our wrong and imperfection instead of willing to argue and portray a sort of near perfection within ourselves. Well, if everyone just understood my motives and my background, then they would be eager to listen to me in these matters. I'm humble. They need to be more humble than me. Remember that the Spirit is sent by Jesus to be our helper, and we need him. He is a helper we are fully dependent on. He was sent by the Lord to fulfill the desires of the Lord in our lives. And we see those desires in verse 3. That we bear with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Notice he does not say unity in spirit or, or, or to, to, to have a spirit of unity with a lowercase s, that there would be this kind of essence of agreeableness of, that we had have with one another, but that we would bear with one another in love to be eager to maintain our unity in the Holy Spirit of God. You see how that's different? Very different than a general spirit or essence of unity. That we would have and maintain and be eager to do so a unity that is found not so much in the fact that we all like to do the same things on the weekend or in our free time or that we cheer for the same teams or have similar senses of fashion and home decor but that we would be a very diverse group of people that would have a very strong unity found in the one thing that truly unifies us, the Lord. That we'd be eager to maintain this. That that would be our objective. Oh, this conflict is hard. We're not agreeing. It's difficult for me to serve alongside that person. It's difficult for me to have an in-depth conversation with them. But I am going to, with patience and humility and gentleness, I'm going to bear with them in love because I am so eager. I want so badly to have a unity founded upon the work of God and the person of God and His involvement in our lives. We bear with one another. Bearing with one another is a Holy Spirit-enabled task for the purpose of godly unity. Ephesians 4 goes into here a, a somewhat familiar section for us. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God of, and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. 
Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Do you notice the, the seven times that oneness is mentioned in there? It seems as though unity should be relatively easy for Christians. That this should be a, a, a kind of a simple thing. It makes sense that we would be unified when we have all of this in common. I've been reading lately an excellent devotional based on the writings of Richard Sibbs, edited and compiled by Pastor Emeritus Dave McKinnon. And in the reading for February 9th, Sibbs said this, Christ is in all believers as the vine is in the branches and the head is in the members. Christ is one in them all, not divided. His spirit is the same spirit in them all. It would be an excellent thing if all the people of the world had the same mind of Christ, the same faith, the same aims, the same affection to good things, all as one person. This should be the experience of all Christians. It is the end of Christ's prayer in John 17 that we would be one in, the, one in Him and in the Father and with each other. When you're reading these verses in Ephesians 4, you cannot miss the oneness, the deep unity. We need to, when we are in disagreement with another believer, when they're bugging us, and maybe it's, maybe it's not even sin, maybe it's just pet peeves. Maybe it's just style and habit stuff and not biblical sin, and then it really, the biblical sin lies with us and our pride and our selfishness in those moments. Maybe it's just we don't have much in common, and it's just harder to have easy conversation with them than it is other people. Or maybe a wrong has been done to us by another believer who, shockingly enough, is not fully sanctified. At that moment, we have an opportunity to acknowledge the truth here that I don't have a different Christ in me than they have in them. I don't even have a different part of Christ in me than they have in them. We have the same Jesus, the same Holy Spirit, the same faith in us. How eager should we be to push through the differences that would block out the treasure that we have the same Christ in us, that he is just as much in you as he is in me. God's desire for oneness, and I hope you're seeing it, goes so much deeper than us as a congregation being able to have a near unanimous vote at a quarterly business meeting. That's great. But how many times do we make that our litmus for unity and our celebration for unity? Oh, we had a big vote. We made a bylaw change with a near unanimous vote. That's great. I love that. But how much are we leaving on the table? How much goodness are we just settling short of when that's our measure of unity? God is in the business of saving 
and calling to himself a united group. He saved a people group out of Egypt. And from them, he started a nation that was to be united by a covenant. And he did not just save a bunch of individuals and think, ah, you know what, they should have club meetings every week. But he saved a church and filled it with individuals. Our identity as Christians, we, we focus so much, and I think this is, this is part of where our culture impacts our faith, where we focus a whole lot on the individual aspects of our identity in Christ. Who I am as an individual. I am a child of God. I am a co-heir with Christ. And we, we so often miss that I am a member of a body. And my function is to be a member working alongside the other members. That I, as a pinky toe in the body of Christ, do not get to call mutiny and split off and do my own thing. But that I must be part of the foot, part of the leg, part of the body. This is not just getting along, but bearing with for the purpose of mutual edification. We have so much to gain in bearing with one another in the right way. In humility, patience, and gentleness. Think of the antonyms of this. That we bear with each other in a way that is not prideful. That is not in a hurry and is not harsh. We don't need to be in a hurry. We have all eternity to be perfect together. We have a very limited amount of time to honor God with obedience to this command. This is going to be easy in heaven. You guys won't disagree with me in heaven. You'll see the truth. The one who bears with learns more of Christ's heart for them. Because there's been times I've had to bear with people. And in my frustration of that, I've been reminded of how much the Lord has had to bore with me. How much the Lord has had to be patient and gentle with me. And as I've realized that I've been a problem and people have had to bear with my shortcomings, with my weaknesses, and they've responded in humility and patience and gentleness to my blatant and obvious flaws. How grateful am I for the body of Christ and for a Lord who does the same to even, an even greater extent. But this isn't just about can't we all just get along? This is about the Lord's purposes. And the Lord does not waste unity on just us being happy and at peace with one another. Look at verses 15 and 16. So the Lord gives us the body of Christ. He, he gives people for unity. We see that in, in verses, really verses uh, uh, 
7 through 14. And then we have verse 15. Rather speaking the truth in love, which is a huge part of bearing with one another in this manner, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. That as we bear with one another in love, as we share the truth in love, that we bring each other in this united fashion to growth and maturity that we as a congregation, that we as a body of believers, that we as really, as almost in this season, it feels like three congregations, the first, second service, and our Chinese fellowship, that we would all grow together mutually into him who is Christ. That as we bear with one another in love, it's not just about not upsetting the water, but it's about helping each other grow in Christ's likeness. In the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together, our unity will increase and increase by every, held together by every joint with which it is equipped. And listen to this. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That as we bear with one another, that we would bring, and I believe this growth is a maturity growth and an expansive growth in the body of Christ. You see how dangerous it is to not bear with each other? Do you see the blessings we miss when we just go, well, you know how that guy is. I think we've all had enough of that guy. We miss out on so much when we respond in pride and impatience and harshness instead of humility, patience, and gentleness and love. So bearing with one another is this Holy Spirit-enabled task for the purpose of godly unity through continually embracing the life-transforming power of the gospel. Paul goes on in Ephesians 4 to talk about how awful these Gentiles are. And it gets pretty offensive when you realize you're a Gentile. But really what he's talking about here is he's using the word Gentile is as those who are, in, who are not in relationship with God, those who do not see Jesus as their Lord, those who have not entered, entered into the covenant faithfulness of God through Christ Jesus. We know that anyone is in Christ. They are a new creation. And so Paul, in this section from verse 17, really through the end of the chapter, goes into the battle of that we are a new creation that can sometimes still try to act like the old self and oftentimes still acts like the old self. Paul says in Romans 7 that the good I want to do, I don't do that. It's the bad that I don't want to do that I keep on doing. We have this battle. We are a new creation and we still very much have old, old habits. I think of when someone moves to a new country and becomes a citizen of that country, they still have an accent. 
They still have the uh, dermatological features. They still know the culture of their native land. And if they went back to their native country, they would fit in quite well probably. But they are no longer a citizen there. They're a citizen of a new country. When we become citizens of heaven, we still have a fleshly accent. Our hearts still bear the marks of the flesh. We can, without too much trouble, fit in with the world pretty well. But we shouldn't. Because that's not our home anymore. It's not our citizenship anymore. That's not our allegiance anymore. We need to put on, as Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, the new self. Verse 22, he talks about putting off, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's the instruction, verses 22 to 24. If we, if we encapsulate these, this passage that we, we get down to those three verses. We put off the old, we'd be renewed the spirit of our minds and put on the new self, which is godliness. This battle is true of every believer. And so as I approach a situation that's going to require me to bear with one another in love, I need to, first of all, approach this and say, look, I battle with my old self. And it's distinctly possible that my old self is rising up as very much part of this particular situation. And so as I go to approach this person, I need, and this is where the humility comes in, I need to realize my own propensities for sin. I need to know exactly where my blind spots are. I need to know how quickly I can run to conclusions of a certain nature. And I need to try and put that away. I need to kick that out. And, and what does my new self say? What does my new self say? My new self in godliness has this righteousness and holiness. If I'm going to look at the holiness and righteousness of a situation, I better start in that conflict with my own repentance. And if my first step is not my own repentance, whether that's because someone's brought up an issue with me or I'm about to bring up an issue with another person, if my first step in either situation of that and bearing with one another in love, if my first step is not my own repentance, then my first step is wrong. If my first step is not my own searching out of my own heart. And then, once I've done all of that work, I need to look at the other person and say, I'm really struggling right now in this relationship. And I know that this person has an old self and a new self. And they struggle to, to, to replace the old self with the new self as much as I do. And so how much can I lean trustingly in that there is a new self here? While lovingly, patiently, and gently helping them deal with the issues of the old self. Do you see how this changes the dynamic? 
from I have conflict with you because you're a jerk and you're immature and you don't see things the right way like I do. I wish you could be as fortunate as me. It changes it from that to really one of let's patiently and slowly help each other walk with Christ. Which is so much better. Let's focus on our unity in the Lord. And so we need to ask ourselves diagnostic questions as we bear with one another. Am I trying to solve this issue in a fleshly way? The solution I have in mind, will that satisfy my old self or my new self? The solution I'm currently working for, will that satisfy my flesh or the heart that God has given me? How is my speech helping or hurting this? In Ephesians 4.29, Paul says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Am I actually wanting to build up this person and give them grace, or am I wanting them to realize how lucky they are to have me with my high and lofty thoughts? and my monopoly of knowledge. Honestly assess how the Lord has lovingly dealt with you. How does the Lord resolve his anger with me? Does he stay angry? Or has he properly satisfied that anger? The answer is that the Lord has obviously properly satisfied his anger with us. That he has dealt with it in Christ as the propitiation of our sins. And if Christ can take the anger of the Father, can he take my anger as well? Is Christ enough to satisfy my anger? Can my Forgiveness look more like the Lord's and less like a person's forgiveness. Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you have been sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. As we seek this impossible task of bearing with one another in love, knowing that this is out of eagerness to maintain the unity we have in the Spirit, we need to be very careful to not grieve the Spirit. I would suggest I would suggest that you would as you are struggling every time you're struggling to bear with one another that you go to Galatians and you look at the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit and you very honestly figure out where you're falling in there 
that you quickly repent of anything the Lord may expose in that process. We need to put away the tools of the world. The world has a lot to say about bearing with people who are difficult for you. The world has a whole lot to say about it. But that's our old self. We need to put on the new self. We need to embrace the life-transforming power of the gospel, that I am a new creation. So I don't bear with people the way the world does by dismissing them, by trying to curse them, by trying to wrong them more than they've wronged me, by completely blocking them out. No, I deal with it the way the Lord deals with it. I seek to extend grace. I seek to do what the embrace what the Lord has done in ultimate sacrifice and grace, and I seek to embrace what the Lord has given, giving me a new identity, a new heart, a renewed mind. I wonder what would happen if we took time to put Ephesians 4.25 into practice. Therefore, having put away falsehood, having put away this old self, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. There's that, there's that corporate identity in Christ. That it's not just me, my Bible, and I. But I belong to the body of Christ and the people of the body of Christ, as much as I belong to them, they belong to me as well. We very much are our brother and sister's keepers. And so, as we are bearing with one another, we should look for evidences of the new self and celebrate it wherever we find it. Celebrate it wherever we find it. Celebrate it when we see the new self coming out in ourselves. Not in a boastful way, not in a way that will only produce pride, but in a, in a heart of gratitude. Lord, I could not have done this before. Lord, you are changing my heart. The fruit of the Spirit, I'm seeing it in my And I just want more of it, God. And then when we see it in others, whether we, uh, excuse me, I don't know what happened there. Whether we, are a spectator to someone bearing with one another and we can say, I don't think I was supposed to see this, but I saw this and I just, I'm so grateful for the work God is doing in your life that he, the spirit enabled you to handle this situation this way. Or when we witness someone who was born with us in patience and humility and gentleness and love, that we can express our gratitude to, to that person to their availability for the Lord to work through them and to what the Lord has done. And then let's have honest expectations. When someone comes to me and they're like, yeah, I left the church because it's just full of hypocrites and gossips, I just want to say, like, could you be more creative? I am so sick of that line. I just, I get, there's just so much, like, opposite of this passage that I want to do in that moment. I just, I really just want to back up my dump truck of sarcasm and just start shoveling. Because I got some good lines, let me tell you. But that's not helpful for building others up according to what's needed in that moment and extending the grace of God. 
But what did you expect? I have yet to be part of a church where everyone comes in and they say, aren't we glad that we're perfect? Maybe because I don't go to cults. I bet if I went to more cults, I'd find that. That's what I'm doing wrong. But I have yet to go to a church where there's a bunch of people that are like, boy, I'm so glad we got our act together. Isn't it great to be in a room full of perfect people? I have yet to find that church. I've been a part of several churches that talk about how they're, they're stumbling along to put on that new self consistently. That sounds like the kind of place where you should expect to find certain levels of gossip and betrayal and dysfunction. Because we're all stumbling to figure this out. But can we stumble together? And instead of saying, well, that church is full of hypocrites, maybe we could say, my church is full of, and then fill in the blank, gossips, hypocrites, sinners, and I'm one of them. My church is full of sinners, and I'm one of them. And together, we are working hard to experience and extend the love of God. And in the midst of all that, God's doing some pretty incredible things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us this much. That you would bear with us. That you would bear with us sinners. You, the holy God of heaven. When Jesus says, he who is without sin cast the first stone, God, you could have thrown a giant rock from heaven at that point. Jesus himself could have thrown the rock, but he didn't. He lovingly cared for and urged to go and sin no more. And Lord, would we bear with one another in that kind of humility and patience and gentleness. Not for the sake of making Westchester a super easy place to hang out, but for the sake of the unity that we have in your Holy Spirit. And for the sake of us growing into Christ's likeness, and that the body of Christ would grow to the glory of you, our holy God and Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.